Hello, welcome to the Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about nerfs, buffs, and the burden of knowledge. Before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the fucks at home what it is we do on this podcast. On this, on this podcast, we talk about games. I guess I need to apologize for my voice. I just realized that I guess I lost my voice over the weekend. Uh, today, we're going to talk about buffs, nerfs, and the burden of knowledge that comes into games. Specifically, big multiplayer, you know, ser- uh, games as service type games. This is mostly spurred on uh, by a... By a uh, uh, a podcast that I was listening to recently, the Omni Stone podcast, which, you know, a, a, a couple prominent figures in the Hearthstone community get together every week. They talk a little bit about, about the game and they received a, uh, a question from a player. And the question read this, do players cry too fast for nerfs? I've seen people complain about an early Mogu flesh shaper plus mutate, making them lose on the spot. And now they want to see that combo nerfed. I feel like the game has answers for it, but the current best decks aren't running enough answers for it. Now, Mogu Flesh Shaper plus Mutate is just, you know, a powerful two-card combo that gets an eight-drop on the board very quickly. Um, but, you know, the, the, overall, the overall question and the, and the broader question about where we as a player base ask for nerfs, ask for buffs, ask for changes, right? And how the developer teams respond to those requests, I think, is uh, it's very pregnant grounded. Something that I'm not incredibly... Like, we, we, you know, we've talked in the past about buffs and nerfs before, but I don't think that we've actually addressed it along these specific lines, um, because in the answer to it, the hosts then talk a little bit about what nerfs mean, f- and buffs for that matter, from a burden of knowledge standpoint, right? If something gets changed, it costs more mana, less mana, has higher health, right? Less health or something along those lines. If you are a more casual player of the game, that rocks the foundation of what you have come to expect from you know, certain cards, right? Now, I think Hearthstone is very much on the friendly side of that spectrum because when they do buffs or nerfs, they only do, you know, like a handful of cards. They have a big display in the beginning of, you know, like on, on the patch day that says these have been changed, this is where they've been changed, that kind of a thing. But then we also have games like League of Legends, Team Fight Tactics got brought up, um, where buffs and nerfs happen very consistently. League of Legends get patched, gets patched, every two weeks um with with very minor and small buffs and nerfs and they're in the client obviously right but there are there there is much more to the patch notes and they're much more incomprehensible uh comparatively and so the dimension of how we buff and nerf these different kinds of games on the axis of how players interact with the systems and the burden of knowledge that the games are asking of them, I think is a really interesting one. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that that's, that's absolutely true. Um, I think that there's also a really interesting uh, kind of, uh, how do I want to put this, uh, or angle on this from, say, the fighting game side of things, because um, it, it, they, because, like, fighting games are the type of game that have kind of been, I want to say, like, lifestyle-ish games for the longest and that they've got, like, long followings that people play forever and ever, but you couldn't update games until the relatively recent past, right? Like, um, you know, you've got, like, various iterations, but, like, Street Fighter Three Third Strike hasn't been patched ever. Um, like, maybe some new editions of the game, like, have, like, better netcode, but that's it. Um, 
or any netcode because originally didn't release in the internet era. Um, you know, Smash Brothers Melee didn't have any patches to it. Um, and uh, there's always kind of been that attitude there that, like, you know, maybe it's wiser to let the meta play out and eventually people will develop their own tech and the meta will shift itself and that laying a heavy hand on it isn't too bad. But, of course, that has not held out. Like, developers do lay their fing like uh, fingers on the scale in the fighting games or in fighting games in the current era. Um, but I will say that I do think that fighting games do it a little bit slower than, like, say, Hearthstone or Teamfight Tactics or any of these things. And I think that maybe it's just cause of some of that legacy um, of, uh, of, of, you know, not, not being physically possible. Also, I think maybe there's no, not, no small part of it being a uh, um, primarily Japanese companies making fighting games, and I think that they are just a little bit slower kind of on the, on the iteration, um, just kind of historically. Although I don't know if that's like absolutely true. That's that's my that's my gut feeling about it. Yeah, I mean the the other side of this in my head always comes down to um, World of Warcraft, which patches very very slowly in the sense that like you know maybe maybe they'll do small hot fixes, but like big sweeping kinds of changes will typically only really happen once every few months, right? Like we we will see. Uh, you know, a 7.2 or an 8.3 or an 8.2.5 or something along those lines every once in a while, and those will br bring with them more kind of comprehensive changes. Uh, but otherwise, there just isn't that much for... Uh, there isn't that much uh, in the way of patching coming out of World of Warcraft. And in a lot of ways, Hearthstone used to be like this, right? You know, we were looking at balance changes once a, a, a year really uh for 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 quite a long time and that's if you were including like the hall of faming process where certain cards from the classic set were phased out into the wild set because they were like you know too too prevalent and too domineering now i feel like hearthstone has definitely been patching and buffing and nerfing a little bit more often um specifically we've been seeing that when it comes to uh, you know, each expansion kind of typically brings with it its own quick balance patch afterwards. A lot of the times an expansion will launch and things will be really oppressive. And, you know, after a month or so, they'll they'll kind of step in. But that still leaves, you know, one month of a patch and then three months of, of a fairly standard and consistent uh, metagame. The funny thing is that I always used to decry, in a way, the Smash Brothers approach, right? Where you just kind of, like, let the game sit on whatever it is and just kind of, like, let players adapt to the meta. I understand that approach, and to a certain extent, I think that there are ways in which uh, that approach is successful. Um, but I also think that that approach is not incredibly fun or engaging for games as a as a sort of like lifestyle sort of service, right? When I'm playing Hearthstone every day for a dozen games a day, less, more, who knows, right? Um, <clears throat> the, the prevalence of power and the distance between meta shakeups is so big and so long, um, that it does that it makes the game feel very very stagnant even in smash brothers where people will talk about like oh people found out jigglypuff was good right or you know people moved off of fox and onto you know whoever else a lot of these meta shifts happen over the course of years right like for years fox and marth are like the main characters or whatever the the melee meta kind of looks like um 
And then there is some shakeup where someone sort of like figures something, you know, like where somebody kind of like figures something out. Um, and having an artificial stimulus in there as like a buff and nerf cycle with patches or whatever else to just kind of insert the develop the which is the developer's ability to kind of like insert themselves into it and say, hey, listen, we are, you know, we are moving uh, this meta around once every couple of months, I think is really powerful. Yeah, I, I think there's also maybe a difference in form there too, right? Like, in like, especially compared to something like Hearthstone or Teamfight Tactics, fighting games have a lot more space to skill up, right? Like, you can put a lot more time into making yourself better at the physical aspects of the game, right? And there is some of that in Hearthstone and TFT, but um, you know, there's no mechanical necessity in TFT or, uh, uh, sorry, my my air conditioner just yelled at me but there's no mechanical requirement in tft or hearthstone um but there is a mechanical requirement in fighting games and you know that i think carries some of the the distance between patches because you know uh especially early on the reason you are losing is probably not because of your character choice it's probably because you're bad um uh, i think another part of this too is that there is less tendency to main things as as you would say in uh in uh in in TFT or Hearthstone or anything like that, right? Like there's not like one thing that you dedicate yourself, especially in these games that have like kind of rotating meta or uh, not metas, but rotating card sets even, right? Like um like magic doesn't really patch itself other than for like occasionally uh like you know you you have bans and restricted cards, but it naturally patches itself with the with the kind of yearly cycle. Um uh uh and you know, you generally don't, especially with any of these games, you're not dedicating yourself to one character like you do in a fighting game. You typically have a main, and you roll that main, and any shifts to the meta kind of can screw that up in a way, right? Like, if you're playing, uh, say, carry, if you're playing in League of Legends, right, you've got, like, even if it's small, a stable of heroes that you play. So if one of your champions gets nerfs, nerfed, you can switch to one because you were might you might have had to do that anyway, right? Like you might have gotten banned out if you were an OTP and you were playing at like say the professional level. Whereas that kind of, like there's no bans in fighting games, right? Um, or I mean there are occasionally, but they're like wholesale bans and they they apply for everything, not for like um, not for like individual like it's not there's not intra match bans, right? And so screwing up somebody's ability to play by significantly nerfing a character, I think has a a a, a larger shift on kind of that scene than the individual that then like uh individual changes inside of uh 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 like any like a hearthstone tfc lol i think this is also re uh reflected in world of warcraft because you are dedicated to your character right like knocking your character out of the meta contention which is much harder to do in world of warcraft right it's not like yeah. uh you know it, it's not like you like, it'd be very hard to like make a character un, un untenable but I think maybe that has some moderating influence on how much they ever want to swing anything. That way, nothing ever gets too out of whack because, because you know, people are dedicated to their characters. They're not going to want to throw them away even, like, if they're, you know... Like, they would have to be a lot... Like, you don't want to make anything so much worse that they feel like they have to switch off the character. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. That, that, that has always been a concern when it comes to World of Warcraft. And in a certain sense, World of Warcraft is balanced a little bit differently just because it's balanced around... 
like a certain set of viabilities, right? Like maybe, you know, Elemental Shaman is not like the strongest thing to raid on, but it's strong in PvP or vice versa. Or vice versa, because they're kind of different game modes in that sense, right? Like, a Mythic Plus tank might be balanced differently than a Raid tank might be balanced differently than a PvP tank. And so even if you're somebody who is, like, really cued into the meta, <clears throat> you can almost always find something for your <clears throat> for your spec to really perform on, it feels like. Um, comparatively, I feel like something like Hearthstone or something like League of Legends, there is so much more danger that, like, my one-trick pony will be uh, not, not like, gutted, necessarily. I don't think any, you know... Well, I don't it's think significantly developers... knocked out of the meta, right? Like, I feel yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, like, that, that is always possible. Uh, but that's also, that's also, like, never, like, the goal, it seems like, right? Yeah, I, I wonder also how much of this is, like... You know, which one's the chicken and which one's the egg, right? Like, you know, maybe because MOBAs historically have kind of been balanced on the on the on the 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 edge of a razor, right? And you know that your hero might hit the chopping block next 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 patch. That you don't let yourself be kind of subsumed by one character in particular, right? Like, I feel like maining is much like while it's prevalent in LoL, it's much less prevalent than say, uh, you know, characters in fighting games. Yeah. Um, or your, or Do you get the character. sense that there is a trap to calling for something to be nerfed, right? Like, you know, something that in the podcast that they sort of talk about, right, is the, is the like, you're playing the game a lot, you're playing the game every single day, and you're running into something, and it just feels incredibly impressive, and you're just like, wow, how the fuck did they not nerf this thing? Right, when really that's kind of an, uh, uh, a frustration that is localized to you, in a way. Um, and the, the answer would be if a game developer were sitting in the room with you to tell you, no, that's fine. You probably just need to like figure out a way to play around it. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think, I think it's always like, I think there is a point where a call is appropriate, but I think it's usually too early by like, you know, the first people are always too early, right? Like. You know, there'll be people calling for it to be nerfed before it hits live, right? Like, the, you know, be like, this is, I can see it, and I can read the numbers in my head, and it's going to be broken, and you can nerf it now yeah, before yeah. it hits live, right? Like, and I think that's always too early. I have a little bit more faith in most designers um, that that wouldn't happen. Um, I also think that you're, you're definitely hitting it right, right? Like, you know, maybe they buffed this thing to be uh, to, to counter whatever oppressive style of play you're currently playing as. And there's a counter to it, but you're just not playing it because you're trying to do the same thing that you always did. No, right? that's a lot like what I was talking about last week when I was talking about playing Face Warrior, right? Like the Face Warrior deck that relies on getting attacks in with your weapons. Um, that deck just gets destroyed by any, any rep weapon removal, right? So if you play that in a meta where people are playing Acidic Swampoos, which is a, you know, a two-mana card, destroy your opponent's weapon or whatever, you are immediately fucked, right? Um, and that, and, you know, and maybe that is okay, right? In, in a, in a, in a card game where like tech cards and kind of tech options exist. This is, this is like another piece of the sort of balancing puzzle, but something that's interesting about Hearthstone is that like not every card is necessarily like played or playable in, in a certain sort of sense. And so like you have a lot more options to counteract on somebody else's strategy um in a game like hearthstone than you do in a game like league of legends right like a caitlin cannot meaningfully alter their build um 
when they're up against uh, a fed Zed in the same way that like I can alter my build when I'm up against a pocket meta of control warriors, right? Like my ability to change my deck and tech my deck around that control warrior matchup so that just every time I walk into that fight, I am just like trouncing uh, the control warriors is like really, really powerful in Hearthstone and in league of legends. It's not because like in I, a certain I, sense, <clears throat> I think you're. I think you're comparing on different levels, right? Like you're comparing in match Caitlyn to like meta level Hearthstone deck, and I think they're, they're like you're making the wrong comparison, right? You can make a meta level change on which champion you pick. Um, like if you know we're in an assassin meta, right? You play somebody. You play a, a, a carry with a little bit oh, more survivability. Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense, right? Because you can't like you know in Magic in between in, if you're playing traditional. You can sideboard in cards in between, uh, in between uh, your your three matches, but that's the closest you get, right? Inside of an individual game, you can't swap out your swap out your cards, which I think is the equip more the, the better equivalent for an in game comparison, right? Like in fact, I think well, yeah, well, really what I'm trying to define, like you know, the, certain champions have counters and certain. Sure don't right but my ability to counter a deck or a meta in hearthstone right like if i want to counter every control warrior i see i can build a deck that does that very very effectively and much more effectively than i can build a champion roster or something right like even if i am playing caitlin and ezreal or tristana yeah, right? like I, I, these characters I, with like self peel or whatever right like the 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 win rate gain that i am getting by playing those champions who are good into assassins into the assassin meta versus playing the good decks into the control warrior meta is uh is less than is really yeah less I, I, I think i think but yeah you're right i was comparing across I, I think i i agree with you <laughs> just because like that's kind of the nature of those games, right? Like, LoL is much less RPS than card games tend to be. There's some, like, there's some RPS aspect, and I think that's, again, due to the fact that, like, you've got scaling levels of ability to, um, uh, you've got scaling uh, of skill, right? Like, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of Hearthstone, you know, there is a fair amount of skill in terms of what to play when, um, but a lot of that's, uh, it's not mechanical at all, it's all kind of, like, tactical, um, and, uh, so because of that, you have to have kind of more hard counters, right? Like, you can't theoretically make up for an aggro deck by being good at microing, right? Like, you have to have an anti-aggro option or be running an anti-aggro deck in an aggro meta, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Um, like, hypothetically speaking, even if, let's say, Yasuo has a really awful matchup into Vladimir or something, I can have such good micro play on Yasuo to outplay the Vlad. Um, yeah. in a way that you don't really have that same option uh, to the same degree in Hearthstone. So it sort of makes up for it on the... In, in a certain sense, LOL kind of splits the ability between like a strategic level thing and a tactics level thing. In Hearthstone, it's all strategic level. I think I kind of buy that. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, mean, the, the, I, I would I, almost like, say that in, like, like, like at a lower level, um, kind of matchup dominates in Hearthstone and skill dominates in LOL. Um, and definitely dominates in, say... Uh, uh, in fighting games, right? Which is, I think that, I think this is a decent continuum, right? You've got like Hearthstone on one end, which is like almost all tactics, right? Lull somewhere in the middle that's like partially tactics, partially skill, and fighting games, which are all in the end, which is um, mostly kind of uh, skill. I'm talking talking in terms of the meta game, not in terms of like yeah, the internal yeah, yeah. game. Well, yeah, and and you see that, right? Like in a lot of the different sorts of ways that you talk about. Um, 
pros in League of Legends, it's always about like individual skill and right. Like I am, uh, he, like this guy is really strong on Caitlyn, and look at his CS numbers, and look at the kill participation and his KDA or whatever, which are the all of these like like skill level sort of reflections. Whereas Hearthstone esports, it is almost always about like this is the lineup he chose to bring to the tournament, right? Or like this is the like he knew he was going up against you know, whoever, Firebat this week, and we know that Firebat thinks Quest Hunter is a really good deck, and so he teched out his lineup versus Quest Hunter, right? Like, one of those is, like, a much more, uh, like, like high-level, macro-level thing, and the other one is much more about, like, the micro-level um, kind of decision-making, which isn't to say that there is not micro-level decision-making in Hearthstone. I absolutely think that there is, but it is decision-making inside of the match that is more, like, chess-like in the way, like, how do you spend your removal? What line of play do you you know like where do you pressure your opponent where do you just kind of like hero power pass those kinds of decisions are all really important and all really matter um but i think a lot of the you know a lot of what makes hearthstone exciting and fun to watch and uh an interesting competitive sport is because you know like half of the match is played before the the decks even you know what i mean like the yeah, decks the even deck play the each other yeah, right? it's so much about because yeah, it is so much about you know the choices that you make in just putting stuff into your deck, right? Um, yeah, um, and I, so I, I think a really interesting example of this is uh, uh, I'll, I'll link this video in the description as well as the podcast link. But there's a uh, there's a there's a video from uh, I forget what the name of the channel is. I, th- I think it's called like uh, it's it's a, it's a magic channel that I watch, but it's about Siege Rhino. Um, Siege Rhino was a card from like. Four or five years ago, I want to say. Um, I actually kind of weirdly remember this. Um, th- so the oh the, yeah the, yeah yeah I the, do remember this card. Yeah, the, the video came out like uh, it's called Ristic Studies. It, the video came out two days ago, um, uh, uh, and essentially what happens is is this this card ends up dominating the meta for reasons that uh, Ristic Studies goes into. But the the thing that's interesting that they'll bring it up in this case is that. Um, there's a tournament. I think it might be a championship. It might just be a playoff round. But um, one player literally just shows his opponent that he's got two siege rhinos in his hand, and the guy scoops. Right? Like that's wow. like. But like that's the kind of the level of like set a game can be. Right? That like you don't even bother like playing it out because you know how it's gonna go. Right? And that, mm. that, that that doesn't happen in league. Right? Like it's not like it's like oh it, like you know people will say you lose in champ select, but you never really fucking lose in champ select. Right? Like. Um, uh, and you know, uh, and, and kind of like like I said, all the way on the other end of that is the FGC is like you know, if you know your opponent favors a, a certain character, you just study the matchup, right? And you, you can get ready to go into it. Um, like there's never there's like, like there's never a time when somebody's going to like uh, you know uh, gonna gonna stop at character select in, in either of those games. Um, yeah, I mean, and I definitely do think that, like, you know, there are games that, you know, you win and you lose in Champions. So, like, we've talked about that plenty of times, you know, amongst ourselves when we lock, like, five carries, the comp or whatever. But, like, that's always kind of code for the chance that we win is much lower now, right? Whereas there are definitely times when I don't feel that way in, like, in a Hearthstone match. And part of that is just, like, you know, there's RNG. You don't know what you're going to draw. Maybe you draw your counters. Maybe you draw your tech cards for the matchup. Whatever else, right? Um, <clears throat> but there are just also situations where you never had it out. They started with the most powerful set of cards that they could possibly find 
and you were going to lose that sort of no matter what. And and people talk about some of those things in a very different way across the different games, right? Like, you'll maybe hear a little bit about people's kind of, like, niche pocket picks when it comes to, like, League of Legends. But because they are a theoretical nature of the game rather than a practical nature of every game, they have a lot, they get a lot less weight than, like, tech cards do. Like, tech cards are what get so much focus in how people talk about Hearthstone esports because they are the, you know, like, they are the defining characteristics that really separate people out. Who chose to bring what deck? A lot of the time it will be like, oh, well, they have the same lineup of, you know, OTK Paladin, Control Warrior, and Highlander Hunter, right? But the thing is, is that the differences in who, what the Highlander Hunter A and what Highlander Hunter B bring are the real, you know, like the real differences inside of the deck to make, uh, to like to make the difference, and that's why it gets you know so much more uh, sort of focus and attention um, than than just like oh he's choosing to bring control warrior well yeah there's a lot there's a lot of people who are going to be bringing control warrior but are you bring control warrior with the bomb package are you bringing you know control warrior with the taunt package you know like any any of the different sorts of little iterations inside of the archetype are the things that get the kind of uh the focus and because league of legends requires you to like sort of specify so much of your theoretical capability and champ select you don't have that same sort of uh uh, yeah, like and focus you, on things, and you do have a little bit, right? In terms of like itemization or whatever, right? Like, like here's the storm. You've got build, League of Legends. You've got itemization, um, but you're abs- you're absolutely right. Um, and you know, like like we've been saying, right? All the all the way on the other end of that is fighting games where you literally don't have anything. It's like one game, like I think it was SNK Cap. No, it was maybe it was SNK versus Capcom. Uh, no, it was Tekken Cross Street Fighter. Um, uh, had uh had like gems that like had like mild effects on the match, and nobody liked it. But even like, uh, freaking uh, uh, what was it? Injustice, unjust, injustice. Yeah, injustice too. had the items, right? Yeah, yeah, but not for like real play. Only for like the weird campaign mode, right? Like, right, right. Not yeah. in any verses or anything, right? Like. Um, yeah, that's and, the same thing with Soul Calibur. Soul Calibur had items, but, like, nobody played competitively with items on. Because, yeah. like, that was never the, you know. Yeah, and not, not only that, but, like, those are all... And, you know, Smash has that, too, with the cards. But, like, and those are all still assigned before the battle, right? Like, there's still not, like, things you, you pull out in the middle of the battle. And Smash a, has that with cards? I have, I have not played Only for, uh, only for, well, you can play a multiplayer mode with it, but it's, uh, it's, it's the campaign mode is based around it. Like, you kind of get stickers that you can stick on your trophies and... Play and, with. and what do the what do the stickers do? Uh, they have various and sundry effects. Some of them are like you knock back people further. Some of them are nuts. Like you you uh, you like start with like a home run bat or something, right? Like it's it's dumb stuff for a campaign mode. It's not a serious. Gotcha. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Serious it's, it's sort of like the treasures in um, in uh, uh, single player Hearthstone, right? Like that stuff. Yeah, never, yeah. Ever make it Almost into... exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 But yeah. Um. How much do you think balance? Or, or, I'm sorry. No, no, go for of it. Knowledge. Uh, how much do you think burden of knowledge should influence? Like, let's say you're a developer, and you are, and you are pushing, you know, uh, patch notes for your game out, and you know that there are a lot of problems that need to be kind of handled. Do you just like do you put all of that in a giant patch and just kind of tell people, hey, listen, 
read the read the patch notes. It's not my job to keep you informed, right? See, or do you do you make the kinds of decisions to say like, you know what? Maybe we'll let some of these problematic aspects lie for now, just because I don't want to overwhelm players with changes. I think it depends on the game. I think you can kind of safely be like, and everything's changing for like World of Warcraft, especially like on an expansion changeover, right? Um, uh, especially because like you know. At the end of the day, it's not it doesn't matter so much if one class is slightly better than another. Um, it's going to be a while before it's relevant anyway because everybody's still going to be leveling for the first part of the expansion or whatever, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I also think that like, like, it matters only at the highest level of play. I think right, like, I think if you dumped a big lull patch. Um, it would, like, people would be mad, but it wouldn't actually matter for, like, 95% of the player base, right? Like, I think good evidence of that is us jumping back in after, like, three years of being away. Um, and it, like, and it, like, mostly being the same, right? Like, there were some differences. There are some things that I'm still remembering, or I'm still, like, learning as I come back. But it's not the end of the world. It does matter, though, for your, for your high level of play, right? Like, you too much, like, can screw with, say, the LCS, which is kind of why, like, say... They set ahead of time what patch worlds is going to be played on um, so that everybody's got plenty of time to, to practice on it. I think part of this depends on how important professional play or high-level play is to your game, right? Fighting games, I think high-level play is super important to the fighting, like, to fighting games as a genre because, like, the hardcore players all care about that a lot more. Right? Um, I think that, like, League is somewhere in the middle. I think Hearthstone is a little bit more towards the bottom. Pro play is important, but it's not the end of the world if they're kind of thrown for a loop. Especially because all of it's kind of, like, theoretical. Like, with Hearthstone, you can work out the effects in theory a lot better than you can with either a game because of, like I said before, the, because of the skill kind of cap um, in that game. Um, uh, and then you've also obviously got other concerns, right? Like, Magic can't do super hard buffs or nerfs at all because it, it it's tied to a paper product that it can't revise um, yeah, yeah. for the most part. Um, but I, yeah, I think that is a huge deal. It being tied to a paper product that they can't revise. Um, I feel like I feel like in a certain sense, a lot of the reticence of early Hearthstone to buffing and nerfing kind of came from the the like inherited philosophies of magic right that like any card game would 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 come off of and like come with right like there's this understanding that you know that we're, we're taking a paper card game and making it digital and so we're going to follow a lot of like the paper card game rules and the ability to buff and nerf cards or change their stats or all of these other sorts of things are are something that hearthstone only kind of like got the confidence to do a little bit later after it was like a more established thing do you know what i mean yeah, I also think that there's some, like, tr there's some, like, literal economic uh, pitfalls there, right? Like, um, you know, if, let's say let's say you could theoretically patch paper magic cards, right? If someone goes and spends $200 on a Jace and you nerf Jace, right? Like, that's, like, a problem in some ways, right? And you have some of those problems in Hearthstone, but less so because there's no, like, real secondary market. Yeah, um, but you, do you can just like yeah, you can just refund people, right? Like right. oh, that's that's what they do, right? They like, yeah. say you, every time you change, they change a card. You can just refund that card for full dust if you want. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, you can do that, but that's that's. I, I feel like that's like 
a, a thing that they begrudgingly have to do, not a thing that they would ideally want to do, right? Because that's like, you know, literally money out of their pockets. Um, uh, so I, 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 would, I, I think that, that plays into it. Um, but I, I think in terms of burden of knowledge, I think that, like, that's like a problem that just, that's beyond the scope of patching, right? Like, I feel like for MOBAs and for card games, um, the burden of knowledge is so high in the f first place that, like, you can push it a little bit with patch notes, right? Same thing with high level in fighting games, right? Like, you know, the burden of knowledge for, like, how, like, matchups work and what frame data is is super high. And you can ignore it at lower levels, but, like, at high levels it's kind of, um, at least, like, some knowledge of that stuff is important. Um, and so you can get away with, with pushing stuff a little bit harder, um... Uh, sometimes this can be infuriating, right? Like, the Smash Brothers Ultimate, in, kind of infamously, they will, like, say... Well, I think it's I think it was Smash Brothers. Um, maybe, it was, maybe it was Smash 4. One of the Smash games, like, would release patch notes and it'd be, like, like nerfed Ganon's forward tilt, right? And not give any more details. People were like, just give us the fucking frame data, right? Like, we're, like, we're gonna fucking have to figure it out anyway. Just tell us. Um, uh, so I think that, like there's also, like, a, a risk of not giving it... Like, if you're going to change it, I think you do need to say everything completely. Um, I don't think you should ever leave anything kind of hidden on the... Uh, hidden. Um, like, you occasionally see things about, like, hidden patch... Like, hidden changes that they don't announce or, like, just kind of, like, was a bug fix that had, like, an unintended consequence. I think those are all bad. Um, yeah. Um, but I do think that you can... Just kind of, like, to wind it back to your original question. I think there are changes that like, are not so problematic that if you think the burden of knowledge is going to be too high, you can safely let lie for a little while. Um, but I think that that's going to be, like... I think there's going to have to be a very, very weird set of circumstances, right? You're going to have to have, like, to do changes to literally every meta hero in a... Like, I, I think that that bar is really high for not patching something for, uh, for, for complexity's sake. Um... I think, I think the, the, the TFT thing that was, was identified in the podcast, part of it is that, like, it's changing a lot more aggressively, right? Like, it's in beta phase still, so, like, those changes... Like, I, I, I think one of the casters mentioned that, um, that it's still in beta phase. Um, the changes, I think, are a lot more aggressive, and so, like, it's harder to... It, it, it's, um, it's harder to absorb those into the knowledge base, and I also think that, like, that's kind of necessary in order to get a rough game to a stable place, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. I mean, I do think that there is something about, you know, I think there is something to the beta, the beta aspect of teamfight tactics, but I also just think League is uh, the kind of place that patches really often. I think that they... <clears throat> Hearthstone covets its casual player base in a, in a way that I don't think League of Legends does, right? League of Legends in a way assumes you will keep up or that it won't matter for you if you if you keep up with it right like they are going to keep patching it because most of the players who play uh are playing at a at a fairly engaged rate where they do care a lot about the patch notes and they do want to you know like they do want to see what buffs and nerfs are coming out all the time um <clears throat> And I think that they're going to continue with that philosophy in Teamfight Tactics. They're just going to be targeting people like, you know, like Disguised Toast or whoever, right? Like, who are, who are the Teamfight Tactics-only players 
that just like focus all of their time and attention on that game mode right um and maybe that's like not a great business decision but it's like the best decision to you know making the making the game good for people right like toast is probably the premier streamer for team fight tactics and getting him like like and focusing your attention on players like him who kind of trickle down the knowledge by saying by being kind of the thought leaders right saying like oh the new op you know items are broken or not broken or the new champions or whatever. Like, I don't know. I mean, part of this goes back to in our team fight tactics episodes where we were talking a little bit about like how to change and balance it. Right. Like in the hearthstone podcast, they talk about how team fight tactics absolutely needs a rotation, right? Because like part of the frustration of the game is you introduce new units and it throws off the entire underlying math of the game. All of a sudden, it's not like one out of 39 or something for, for, for one-star units. It's one out of 40, and that changes a lot of the way that your your math and your rolling and all that other kind of stuff um, exists. And so, I don't know. That's something that uh, That's something that I feel like hasn't quite been explored just because of how young the auto-battler genre is. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree with that. I think I definitely agree with that. That makes sense to me. Um, I think that you kind of, uh, how do I, like, I, I, I think that that's just, like, a thing that I'll come and go with, with this, with, with like, I, I, I think you kind of hit it, right? Like, it's, it's a new genre, so it's hard to establish conventions yet, right? Like, I could see a world where, you know, heroes in MOBAs are introduced a lot more aggressively and you rotate, like, you have a core set of heroes and you rotate heroes around it, right? Like, you know, maybe we retire Annie forever except for, like, you know, the wild version of League of Legends and you rotate in, like, you know, Banny, which is kind of like Annie but different, right? Or, like, you rotate her back in in, like, two years when you want her in the meta to push certain types of comps, right? Um... And, you know, MOBAs obviously don't go that way. I think that there's a good kind of, like... I think it's good kind of for, like, economic reasons, right? Like, you don't want to have to buy a hero and real and think that it's, like, not going to be around in a couple of years. Um, but I think that kind of, like, design could could be applied. And I think that similar things that, like... Teamfight yeah, Tactics... I mean, go on, sorry. The interesting thing about Teamfight Tactics is that, like, you don't have to really... I mean, part of this is that, like, they just don't monetize it the same yeah, sort yeah. of way. Um, but, like, imagine a version of Teamfight Tactics that was a little bit more card-like, right? Where you walk into Teamfight Tactics with a deck of 30 champions or something, right? And um, the pool of champions is, like, 50, and then your all of your roles are kind of, like, hands of... You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of turning Teamfight Tactics into a little bit of a card game with that idea. But the point is, is that that's a lot, more, a lot more controllable and legible to a player base than there is this giant shared pool of champions and an unknown number of them and a constantly fluctuating number of them are constantly changing the odds at which you get the, you know what I mean? Like you get these, these champions and then the items are changing on top of that. And the chance at which you get items is changing on top of that. And the chance of which you get gold and, you know, all this other kind of like all this other kind of stuff is sort of, uh, it's just, it's just so much harder to read. Right, than saying, you know, 
we are adding we are adding a new set of champions they are the ionian champions it is you know whatever like Jin, aurelia yasuo ari something and they have these skill sets right or like or even like skins or something right that like that where it's like okay we are adding infernal shen firefang warwick uh, uh, uh charred maokai and you know infernal galio as a set of infernal champions they will be in the game for the next two months and then we'll rotate in a new set of you know like a new set of champions that have like different abilities right like the idea of a shen that instead of being a blade master is glacial uh, or instead of being a ninja is glacial because he is frozen shen rather than regular shen i think that's like a fairly reasonable sort of thing to do but like <clears throat> without the sort of like standardized rotations and sets that you have in card games it's so much harder to to understand how these how these pieces kind of like fit together yeah i I also think that there's like a level of things that need to be felt out that you can't just kind of like look at and see especially for things with like high random chances right like 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 drawing a card in a card game always kind of has the same amount of random chances. You can have an intuitive field for that, right? Like, you know, you know how consistent your normal Hearthstone deck is, how how consistent your Highlander deck is. Um, similar thing with Magic in terms of like screwing with the numbers there. Um, kind of getting the feel for like how like new champions in the champ pool affects the chance that you get any particular champion is a thing that you kind of have to play to find out, right? Like, um. Like, something I can tell you that I've noticed is that it's much harder to kind of target a particular set of champions in teamfight tactics now than it was at launch. Like, at launch, if you were like, I would really like to go, Yordle's this game, right? You can kind of just force that. Um, and maybe it works less well with, like, the six ones, but, like, the three the, the, the three uh, champion pools, right? Like, you could definitely force those. Now that's much harder to do, right? Like, I used to like to go Pirates a lot. But, like, past couple games, if I try and go Pirates, and one just won't show up, right, for a long time, and so it, it doesn't work, and so you have to adjust to play meaningfully. And I think that's a neat change, right? Like, I think that's a, a cool way to... I, I think probably that's a better angle for the game because it makes it less set and it makes it more kind of... You have to be more... You have to play it more on the fly, right? You take some of that, as you've been talking about, the kind of preset stuff out of the game, put it more onto skill, um, since you can't really build your, your, your champion pool ahead of time. Um, but, uh, uh, but I think that that does make, it is a thing that you have to feel out. And if you're coming into it, coming back to it after having been away for a while, that's the thing that you don't immediately have a, a handle on. Even if you know, like, uh, you know, cognitively that it's different, you have to feel that out to really get a good sense for it, I think. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I definitely see where you're coming from, and I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, this is something else that that's been interesting when it comes to Hearthstone because they just changed uh, the Discover mechanic. Discover used to have a waiting for class cards, so when you use Discover, class cards were four times more likely to appear. Right, so like, let's say it's like Discover a Taunt minion the taunt minions of your class were four times more likely to show up than the taunt minions of the neutral set. Um, and that's interesting, right? But the, but the thing about it is that that, that's a really unreadable thing to discover. You know what I mean? Like you have to like, you have to kind of like know the intricacies of the system. And so they took it out. They were like, Hey, listen, right? Like we want discover to be a readable mechanic for new players who understand pick one of three things of a certain defined set, right? Discover a taunt minion, 
that just makes sense on an intuitive level to a player that there isn't this weird weighting towards class cards, so we're getting rid of it, right? Um, that makes a lot of sense, and it's like the exact opposite kind of like philosophy that goes into a lot of these team fight tactics and League of Legends sorts uh, sorts of like games, right? Where like you know, like lethality for the longest time was a really tough to understand stat, right? Or I mean, when it, before it was lethality and it was just like flat armor pen, because you had to understand the way in which our, the armor formula like decreased the amount of damage that someone was taking, right? And if you knew like the underlying mechanics and could like fathom the math and the equations, it made so much sense to do you know to to go armor pen on like an AD assassin or something, but like. That was just not a very readable thing for most people, which is why they changed it to lethality. Um, yeah. And, and not only is it not readable, but it's also, like, not, like, a very dynamic thing in the first place, right? It's a thing you can't read, but that if you thought to read it, you could calculate ahead of time anyway, right? Like, yeah. Um, it's just kind of like this perfect storm of, like, a, like bad mechanic. Um, and, like, and, like, it's explainable, right? Like, I have yeah. explained lethality and, like, armor pen to people. You know, like, so, for instance, the other day, Charles... Um, a friend of the cast was talking to me about playing a more assassin version of his jungle poppy and he was like well I think I would pick up infinity edge and I said why would you go infinity edge instead of yomus or dusk blade or armor pen or something and he said oh well you know I'm doing a lot of auto attacks getting a you know getting a crit 25% of the time is pretty big you know like that kind of thing and I literally just sat there and I did the math with him where I was like listen the lethality applies to all of the damage that you do with your ability, which includes the base damage. So, in fact, it's kind of this gigantic steroid on all of the physical damage you will end up doing on Poppy. And if you, like, measure out Poppy doing a combo with lethality items versus Poppy doing a combo with crit items, it becomes immensely clear to somebody that, oh, the lethality items are so much better than the crit items, which is, you know, fine. That's, like, that's how it's supposed to work. But the, the point is, is that, like, you know, someone like Charles, who is very good at the game, better than me, a higher rank than me, with a good understanding of the systems and everything like that, couldn't at a glance read and understand the stats behind the game well enough to parse what would be more useful for him when doing a damaged-focused poppy build, right? Like, and, that, and I think that's, like, a real problem that games like Hearthstone are, you know, like, trying to avoid. Also, you know, by the way, games like Warcraft try try and avoid a little bit, and I would say fail more than Hearthstone does, because Warcraft also kind of, like, puts you in this sort of position with, like, simming and, you know, uh, understanding what are your best, uh, like, your, your ability weightings, right? Like, how much haste do you want? How much crit do you want? That kind of, uh, like that kind of thing. It's the same sort of, it's the same sort of process. And you might say that that process is poor, and I think it is one, uh, but it is prevalent in a lot of the games that we end up playing. Yeah, and I, I think I want to point back to, um, I've been talking about this, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, but um, uh, I think it's, it's Mark Rosewater, I think it's, it's, it's the head designer on Magic the Gathering, um, has a podcast that he does of his commute. And, like, two years ago at this point, he did a podcast on complexity where he gets into a lot of these things and how you can, like, deal with that and how you can deal with cognitive loading strategies for, like, designing games such that it doesn't, like, screw this stuff up, right? Like, one thing he talks about is, like, you know, 
if you can separate these things out, like if you could separate different types of, or uh, rules out into different places, right? Like in different phases in say magic, you could increase the complexity there without overwhelming a player, right? Or like if you can tie it to something that makes sense, right? Like discover is very intuitive, except for that weird waiting, which doesn't make a lot of sense. The comparison, like the example he gives in magic is like flying makes sense intuitively as a mechanic because you know what a flying thing is. And when you look at the art of a creature, you can tell if it flies basically, right? And so like the fact that a flying thing flies over ground defenders and you need to have flying or to block it or reach, which is like the, the spider ability, right? Like all of that makes intuitive sense to you. And so it's no cognitive load to like impart that, or it's very little cognitive load to impart that onto the player because it maps to a real world concept very well. Whereas something like say, uh, menace is a little bit more tenuous um, and needs a little bit more explaining than something like, say, protection from blue and all of the things that apply to that. Um, yeah, yeah. Is, uh, is, 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 is a further explanation still in a, in a, in a higher cognitive load. Um, so I, I will see if I can dig that one up again and, uh, and send it and put it in the description because that is an excellent podcast that goes into a lot of these things. And uh, uh, he... You know, does professional design work for Magic the Gathering? I'm like, gosh, you were just kind of two schmoes. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, uh, but No, uh, I mean, like, you know, I, like, this is a part of my, like, this is a part of my job, right? Like, I have to sit down and write patch notes for, for games. So understanding, like, the ways in which to communicate players, right? Like, I mean, and it's simple stuff, right? Like, you list the most major stuff first. You go major, minor you know, uh, in in order of descending, and you talk about bug fixes differently than you would talk about, like, content updates or sort of, like, whatever else. But, yeah, like, absolutely, you need to do, you know, balance changes in order to in order to make things work um, the way that they are intended. My, the, the funny thing, I, I guess, about all of this is how well-balanced I think a lot of these games kind of are in light of how tough it is to balance stuff, right? Like, there was so much kvetching about the balance of World of Warcraft in the beginning of Legion, but kind of by 8.2, they had basically figured it out where there wasn't really a situation where just, like, nobody was taking a, uh, like, nobody was taking a class or something like that, right? There's always classes at the high end of the spectrum, classes at the low end of the spectrum, but, like, there used to be all these memes about, like, nobody would take an elemental shaman for a raid group or something, um, and all that stuff has kind of, like, gone by the wayside, which I think is kind of, you know, kind of neat and kind of nice. And I think the same thing is relatively true of, uh, you know, like, League of Legends. You might have S-tier, you know, A-tier, whatever, but in most situations, most champions are viable. Yeah, I think uh, the safety valve there like, is that, like, any really big misstep just doesn't get played, right? Like, you know, there's less of that, but, like, Callista doesn't really get played that much right now because of her weird, like, pro-level bias in the inverse of that. It's like, yee, right? Like, he doesn't get played at high levels because mm-hmm. um, he's, he's very much a, a, a nub-stomp champion. Yeah, um, like Garen or someone like that. But I think that, you know, like, you know, some, some folks would call that a problem right like that like yeah. there are champions along those lines but no i i just kind of think that that's natural especially as league is getting up you know when every game of summoner's rift is only going to have 10 champions it is going to be a little bit more of a miracle each and every time that play like, like champion diversity across the games is uh dwindling and that's just the nature of how they you know like how league of legends is going to be structured um 
You know, I think they're pretty good about patching and nerfing stuff, right? Like, there are some champions that just keep, like, keep getting nerfed and are still strong, like Aatrox. You know, he just keeps getting nerfed. They've nerfed him, like, nine times now. Um, but, uh, you know, someone like... I don't know. What's his Aurelia. This? Yeah, like, Aurelia, right? Like, it's just going to be sitting in, you know, as, like, a pub stomp champion. And that is, it is what it is. Um, and nobody really, like, nobody really, like, bats an eye about it. Kalissa, I find to be really, like, a really interesting case. I've always sort of thought that, like, there really was no, like, incredibly high skill cap champion that, like, only, like, super top-level pros could play. But if there is one, it is Kalista, um, just because she requires so much, like, coordination with the rest of her team. I wonder if she's going to get, like, a, a rework or something soon. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I think on the other end of that spectrum, that like just to kind of finish out the thought, right? Like, in in like card games, right? Like MTG or Hearthstone, like you you can solve bad cards by not playing the bad cards as long as there's not so many of them that it's a problem. Like, right? Yeah, like Magma Ranger, right? Yeah. You know, um, it doesn't it doesn't matter that Magma Ranger is in the set because you can always not play Magma Ranger. Um, yeah, this is always actually this is something that people talk about when we talk about power creep in Hearthstone. Um, Cards like Ice Rager, this is like the Ben Brogue point. Ice Rager is a strictly better Magma Rager. It is a 5-2 elemental, where Magma Rager is a 5-1 elemental. And they cost um, the same, right? And they cost the exact same. They both cost 3 mana. Ice Rager is not actually power creep on Magma Rager, because Magma Rager is so far below the power curve that it doesn't tick up. Right, like the power curve. If if you buff something from under the power curve and it doesn't hit the power curve, that thing is not yet like broken. And I don't know what a three mana, you know, uh, what what a three mana something needs to be in order to be broken. They have tried a bunch of different ragers, right? Like the most recent iteration is Faceless Rager, which is a three mana five one that says battle cry copy the health of a friendly minion. So if you have a like a beefy two three, if you have a river crocless on two and you play Faceless Rager on 3, you have a 5-3. Maybe that's, like, too strong, but Faceless Rager is not played, right? So, like, clearly there is hypothetically room to grow for sort of the 3-mana Rager archetype, 3-mana 5-attack minions. Um, <clears throat> the stuff that pushes power creep is when the very best stuff gets iterated on, right? When you have piloted Shredder, and then piloted Shredder dictates... You and then you have to make a bunch of minions that beat piloted shredder, so you have a bunch of four mana three fives. Now, all of a sudden, you're sitting in power creep territory because, like, you are designing powerful cards to beat the most powerful cards, if that makes sense. Yeah, honestly, it, it's funny. We can reference back to this um, Siege Rhino video. Um, Siege Rhino, part of the thing that makes it so powerful is I believe it's a four or five, um, and apparently, it's power and toughness just got iterated the hell through development. It was originally at, like, at one point, like, a 3-3. Three, three. And, like, the 4-5 is a pair... Like, that like that 5 um, over... Uh, there's a similar card in another color wedge that's 4-4. Uh, four, four. That extra point of toughness is what really puts it over the edge into being, like, super, super powerful. Um, so, uh, like, you know, that type of stuff is, like... It's, it's always interesting to kind of see how those, like, little changes can, can, can make all the difference. Um... But yeah, um, you is can that it? Have we have we exhausted it? <laughs> um, 
Yeah, is, is there something we want to say about buffs? I feel like that's been the least thing we've 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 touched on over the, the past. People talk years. about buffs, but they always talk about them in a psychological effect, um, and I think this is dumb. People will say things like, "Oh, don't nerf things. People hate when you take things away. Instead, buff them." Right. So, like the WoW example is there used to be a penalty for playing too much. The more, the longer you played, the less experience you gained. Uh, what they did was swap it around. The longer you played, or I'm sorry, the the less you played, the more rested experience you earned which increased the rate of experience that you got people hated the penalty and loved the bonus and that's the sort of like idea that fuels buffs people will love buffs and hate nerfs uh the problem with buffing all the time is that you are power creeping right like that is the definition of power creep you're just blowing your power curve through the roof if you focus more on buffs than on nerfs um I think buffs for games like League of Legends and World of Warcraft make a lot more sense than they do for card games, though credit where credit is due. Hearthstone just did a big round of buffs that were pretty kind of interesting. Um, but, like, one of the things that happened is they did these buffs, and then cards that they buffed were really overpowered, so they just reverted the buff. Um, so, you know, yeah, it I, is I, what it is. I think part of this, too, is, like, Buffs over nerf, like I think the thing you you've identified with the WoW story is that's not actually buff versus nerf. That's carrot versus stick, which buff versus nerf is oh, a fair, form of. Oh, fair, fair, fair. Right? Uh, yeah, I just mean that people no, like no, no, a positive no. thing, hate a negative. Oh, thing. no, that, that's, yeah. that's absolutely true. But I think I think that's the important thing, right? Like, like if you like carrot is probably always better than stick, but that doesn't mean that buff is always better than nerf because those are actually slightly different, although related concepts. For sure. Yeah, I mean, um, and it's also a little bit of like eye of the beholder, right? As a Yasuo main. When Yasuo gets nerfed, that looks... I, I, I hate that, right? But if you are someone who hates playing against Yasuo, seeing Yasuo gets nerfed is a positive experience for you, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, this is kind of like the guy talking about uh, banning Pike and how he thinks Pike is a really unfair champion to to play against, right? Like, that's a person whose interaction with Pike is inherently negative, so a nerf actually feels really good for him. Yeah, I also think that there's, um, there's like, this mild confusion, right, where, like, nerfs tend to have a, uh, I'm going to call it, like, a mediating effect, right? Like, it tends to make champion like, nerfs, it doesn't necessarily have to be this way, but the way it feels usually is, like, nerfs tend to make the, cha- like, make things feel ger- more generic, and buffs tend to make things feel more unique, because if you're doing it on, like, one axis, right, like, you know, if you make Pike's Hook really good like then he's a hook guy right and so like it gives him individual flavor whereas nerfs tend to target individual like ten, nerfs tend to be a little bit more general right and so it feels like you're just bringing the general power level down it makes the hero feel a little bit more um generic i don't think that has to be the case but i just think that's how it usually rolls out in practice right like you could just kind of like continue to nerf the way that pike's health goes and like he would feel really unique as like this very squishy champion that can't ever get buff um or buffing that you know can't ever get like healthful um, uh, but I think in the general case, it's just not how it works out for most champions, right? Does, does, does that make sense? Yeah, I get that. I also sort of think that there's like a, um, in a certain weird sense, buffs and nerfs are themselves kind of signals to the community about how they should like review champions or things in their own head, right? Like, so for instance, if, if Yasuo gets buffed, or if, like, you see in the patch notes that Yasuo is due for some buffs, that signals to you that he is weak now, in a way, right? Like, and, like, when 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 Silas is getting nerfed, it's like, oh, I didn't realize that Silas was such a strong champion. And so there's, like, this other aspect of it, which is that, like, 
the frequent patching kind of gives people touchstones on which to understand the metagame um, because like it signals to them what is strong what is weak by on, on the on the sort of pre-axis before the thing gets changed to the post-axis um, so you know maybe that's like another piece of consideration for all of this who knows yeah yeah <clears throat> But I feel like uh, that's probably about all we've got to talk about right now, right? Let's, yeah. Uh, let's transfer into this back half. So. Yeah. So, what have you been playing? What's going on? What's on your mind? Uh, what have I been playing? Uh, do, do we want to talk about uh, Apple microtransactions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, app, Apple podcast? picking is pay-to-win bullshit. And also, wait, actually, it is the most competitive. It is the most competitive game because if you don't get there early, all the good apples are picked. Boy, I don't know how to. Wow. Nation of apples. Anyway, we went apple. <laughs> yeah. uh, we did not so, do a group podcast. Yeah, we did not do the group podcast that we had intended to do, which I'm a little sad about because I ended up talking a lot with some of my friends about like the current state of World of Warcraft with like some really interesting sort of uh, some interesting sort of thoughts. Like, so for instance, one of my friends is a is like in development, like software development, and. Um, <clears throat> And he was re- recently having an argument with someone about kind of like the nature of Blizzard being a corporate entity, right? Like, and a corporate entity that we know like does shitty things or whatever, right? Like they laid off a ton of their force um, earlier this year, which was like decried by the, the, the public or whatever. And there's this kind of like weird interaction where it's like you have to view Blizzard really hostily because they are a corporation and, like, they're solely motivated by just, like, vacuuming all of the money out of your wallet. Um, and he was expressing a little frustration about that kind of uh, a that kind of a mindset when it comes to interfacing with, like, games. Like, his perspective was like, look, you know, companies are big and unwieldy and they are made of lots and lots and lots of people who are all really trying to do the right thing and do the best thing for their specific job, whether that be, you know, make great art or uh, compelling game design or sort of like whatever else. And when they miss the mark, there is a little bit of that that is, you know, like unintentional or whatever. Uh, how do you feel about like that whole side of, you know, the, the economic nature of, of, of gaming? Yeah, I mean, I think there's like, it, it's, a, it's a weird problem because like, you know, there's, I think I think software is a lot more complicated than a lot of people want to want to admit, right? Like I I have been on this podcast and you know addressed people being like, "Well, that should be easy to fix." And you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, right? Like I'm not a game developer, but I am a software developer, not the one that you were talking about in that anecdote. But um, you know, software is tough. Um, um, I also think that there's like there's a level of like you know. At the end of the day, if the game gets bad, people will stop playing it, and then they will have no money. And the people at Blizzard understand that at some level, right? Like, maybe not as much as, like... Or maybe they don't prioritize it as much as you would like. But, like, at the end of the day, they still need to make a good game in order for them... In order to make money, right? Like, in order for the cash cow that is World of Warcraft to keep continuing on. Um, On the other side of this, apparently, like... Uh, Microtransactions are, like, a huge part of the revenue base of World of Warcraft, right? Like, Like, shop mounts and whatever... And so, mm-hmm. like, it's, it's, it's easy to see, it's very easy to feel like, you know, you know, we're, like, they are prioritizing development on weird microtransaction incentives like the, uh, the recruit-a-friend rewards instead of, you know, 
good content for good subscriber boys, right? Like, um, I don't think that that's totally invalid. It's 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 tough, right? Like, I definitely like. I think that it's good to be a, a countervailing voice in an environment where everybody seems to just want to dump on everything, but that doesn't mean the people that are dumping on everything are, are absolutely wrong. How do you feel about, uh, there was recently a tweet that was like, you know, uh, hold on, let me see if I can, if I can uh, look, look it up. So there was a tweet that was like, you know, uh, at this point, we can't, we shouldn't be paying $60 for video games. And somebody quote tweeted that and was like, yeah, actually you should be paying 120 to $150, which is kind of a, a, a reference to the idea that game prices really have not gone up. Um, like I remember the jump in the mid two thousands, I want to say, like it was before the Xbox three sixty era, from a fifty dollar game to a sixty dollar game, and in the intervening, you know, twelve, fifteen years, whatever, we really have seen most AAA games just kind of stick stick right at that sixty dollar price tag. Um, yeah. Do you think that people have a have a devaluing experience with their games, and people don't value games as much as they should? I don't buy that. I don't think that we should be paying 120 to $150 a game. I think that there's, like, a lot of economic stuff that's wrapped up in that that, like, isn't acknowledged by, like, that tweet, which is one, like, you know, games are hitting a much broader audience, right? And, like, it's not like there's, per, like, per-unit costs. So, especially as games have gone digital, there's no per-unit cost, right, for developing a video game. It's all, like, at once. So, like, if you're selling, you know, X number more copies... It doesn't matter if, like, you if you increase, or, you know, if video games were one hundred twenty dollars, you'd probably sell less than half the number of copies. At which point, you're losing money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right, because, like I said, it's not like you're spending particular amounts of money on on uh, on individual copies, like your per unit costs. Um, I also think that, like, like the economies of scale have gone up, the audience has gone up. Um, DLC and microtransactions kind of fill that void for the most part. I also think that, like, I don't, I don't think... Basically, I think that, that, that the view that the game should be $120, $150 is reductionist and ignorant of a lot of different economic forces. Um, you know, that just kind of makes it not make sense, right? Like, huh. what's okay. the other I, I, I get that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Right, like... At some level, gaming is like a hobby for like, people for like, for like normal people, right? And if you make it hundred twenty dollars, to be a hobby for like rich people, which it was at one point, right? So you don't, and you don't want it to go back to that, um, or like enthusiasts maybe is a better better point than necessarily rich people. But like, um, I think part of the reason that like gaming has gone more mainstream is that it is more accessible to the average person rather than just enthusiasts who take their disposable income and burn it on, you know, a high-power PC instead of, you know, a family vacation or something. Um, uh, but, you know, I don't... Yeah. Th- yeah. I mean, something... I mean, part of this is also a sort of like an attention economy piece of it. Like, yeah. something that got mentioned in that Hearthstone podcast, not in the, 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 the section that was this basis for today's uh, cast, what was... Um, the oh, it was the idea of a rotation, right? Like they they got a fan question about like oh like how 
helpful do you think rotations are for for Hearthstone? Should they do more? Should they do less? Kind of thing. And the answer was like Hearthstone does rotations really, really well, right? Because you give everybody about two years with a card. So if they buy a card, that card is useful to you for two years. Even if it's a bad card, you know, maybe it's not incredibly useful, but like whatever, right? Like it will be in standard for those two years and you can kind of rely on it um, to be there for you for those two years. Um, but the, um, and, uh, and there was a little bit of pushback where it was kind of like, oh, well, you know, like maybe they shouldn't be asking you to buy 120 new car or 135 new cards every four months or whatever. And, uh, and Firebat, the 2014 world champion pointed out that like, if you want to be competitive while playing a, like an EA sports game, especially FIFA or MLB, they also sell their players in card packs, um, but if you want to be a pro in FIFA, you have to spend about $5,000 on FIFA microtransactions in order to get all of the players and, like, rank your players up so that they're three stars or whatever, you know, like, whatever the kind of the, the case may be. And how, you know, we pay attention to Hearthstone because that's, like, the game that we like. And I feel like it gets a, it, it has a higher profile for some reason than FIFA, which is our obviously, like, way more popular, right? But in a certain sense we should be paying attention to the worst actors in the business and the worst actors in the business are shitty microtransaction companies farming whales and you know uh companies like ea that are pushing games like fifa so like at what point do we sort of say you know what given the relative field blizzard is doing okay yeah i mean i feel like part of that's like you know what like just because there's somebody worse doesn't mean that, like, you know, your problem is invalid, right? Like, that's, like, that's, what that's the signal for is to tell EA to go make the worst game possible. That way, there's the second worst game can be like, see, we're not that bad. We only charge you $300 a week. Um, no, of, yeah, 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 sure. That is, you know, in a certain sense, it's like a, a lesser of two evils argument. Yeah, and also on the other side of that, too, is, like, I think part of this is that, like, like, weirdly, maybe not weirdly, but sports games fans are, like, an almost entirely separate audience than, like, core gamers. They're their own, like, kind of, like, hardcore gaming group, but they're, like, separate from the, from, uh, from, from quote-unquote, like, you know, hardcore gamers or whatever, however you want to describe, like, kind of, like, core, the core gamer set. Um, and that's, and they probably just, and that's the world that they know, so they just don't care. Um, but I don't, uh, I do think that the attention should be put that way i guess although there's some part of me that's like if they want to pay that much money for it like more power to them if their base is willing to pay for it they should like you know it, it'll change if they stop paying for it and i think that like at some level the consumer revolt at the on, in the core audience kind of keeps it in check a lot right like that battlefront 2 got itself remote like remade because in terms of the microtransactions because of the outcry i think that that's like proper market signals at work um uh, i also think that in a in a in a uh, kind of victory for me saying that the epics game store isn't that bad stop whining you, you babies um borderlands 3 apparently sold like a shit ton of copies um and uh no one no one cared uh so you know um I feel like I, you know, that, that's I, this is just me being smug. That like, see, I told you, like, I told you it wasn't that big a deal. Stop being mad, you internet people. Yeah, um, I mean, there is a, you know, a, like a business saying. It's like there's a lot of power in a good product or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
there's just like even if everything around your product is really like garbage if the product itself is something that people really like and really need right like that is the number one definition of it selling or it not selling right yeah um and even in games which i think is more sort of like culturally sensitive than other uh like other products would be you know like toothpaste right like who gives a fuck about toothpaste um but we give a lot of fucks about games we talk a lot about games because games take up so much of our free time and you know guys like you and me we center our like friendship and social lives around games and podcast topics around games right so like they get a lot more kind of like attention and care um than than something like you know what is the best mouthwash for me like might get yeah um i also think that like while that's definitely true i think it's got like the the view of how important that's like that discussion is is distorted especially for like like blockbuster games right like um, like, I think the easiest way to do is something like Call of Duty, right? Like, you can be as mad about Call of Duty as you want to be. It's probably not going to have, you know, you can be as mad about the white phosphorus in Call of Duty as you want to be. Um, but it's probably not going to make a dent in their sales. Um, Ooh, do you want to talk about the white phosphorus in Call of Duty? What's your take on the white phosphorus in Call of Duty? It's a video game. It's not real. That's, that's yeah, but Call of, like, it's Call of Duty, though, man. Like, they really... See, I... see. I agree with that argument in less realistic settings than the, like, reportedly realistic setting of Call of Duty. Even, like, Call of Duty, like, Space Wars or whatever, some of, like, the crazier ones in the back half of the century were, like, um, can get quite a bit of... uh, So, for the multi... Like, I see your point, but I don't think that applies to the multiplayer, right? Like, you know, I will point out that Modern Warfare 2 or 3 had a nuke that you could drop on the battlefield, right? And it just ended the game, right? Like, that was a 25 kill streak reward if you could get that high. Whatever. It's not a real nuke. Who cares? It's a multiplayer. For, for the purposes of multiplayer, right? Like, I agree with you that, like, no Russian or, like, the white phosphorus scene in, uh... uh what's, what's the one that every... What's the, the FPS that everybody loves to... To cream themselves over. Um, Spec Ops the line? Yeah, that one. Um, right? Like Not an it, FPS, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sure, sorry. Um, uh, uh, like, those stuff, like, if you have it in a campaign, I think it makes more sense because you're telling a story with it, right? Like, a thing that yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, a, White Phosphorus is like the defining moment of that campaign, sure. right? Like, when you White Phosphorus the place where you think all the bad guys are, and it turns out you just, like, burned a bunch of civilians alive and then go see their corpses right like that was like i mean spec ops the line is a truly great game right um but that was one of the moments of the game where i was just like oh my god this shit is on another level like sure and you know i absolutely think that you can't treat waste like it would be a mistake to treat white phosphorus lightly in a campaign like that but in something that is a Multiplayer setting where it's literally just kind of the name for a mechanic. I, I can't, I can't get mad about it. Right, like you've got people that are running around and jumping and hopping and like shooting a like you know, a, uh, anachronistic weapons at each other at some level. Right, there's a lever action rifle in that game. Right, like no one's fucking using that on a modern battlefield. No, I know, but like it does create a certain context for it. Right, like like so you know I just watched a, I just watched a, a video about amnesia. Um, the as like a trope, 
no, no, no. Like, oh. so like amnesia as like as like a storytelling trope is something that is entirely unrelated to amnesia in the modern in like the real world. Amnesia right. in the modern in like the real world really sucks. People don't get their memories back ever. It's not going to come back with time, or you can't jog someone's memory if they lose it or whatever. A lot of the times it's because of like severe brain damage. They won't be able to like access certain skills. They will forget aspects of like language or motor skills. Like you won't be able to use chopsticks or something like along those lines. You won't be able to remember how to drive. Um, and so it is always like a much, much, much more serious thing in the sort of uh, the context of real amnesia but like when you and I talk about amnesia outside of that context we think about it as I hit you on the head with a pan and you feel better or whatever and your memory kind of like comes back and I would bet that there are a lot of people who over time have internalized an idea about amnesia that is incorrect because of its use in the media that they consume right which is maybe which is a pretty harmless thing sure but it is not like the truth or whatever and if that same same principle applies to the way white phosphorus is being used in modern you know warfare or whatever redux this this uh this new call of duty is like it can give people similar misconceptions and the consequences are that much more dire because white phosphorus is that much more awful in like a real world context yeah i i don't know if i buy that like video get like the number of people who can't tell the difference between video games and real life are small, and it's like... Wait, 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 wait. You think that's a thing? What, that people can't tell the difference between video games and real life? It's, it's not about telling the difference, right? It is about their understanding of something coming from a, an in, essentially an inaccurate source, right? Sure, but like, there's, I think there's a different context, right? Like, I, th- I think you're like, like, people don't attach that same level of realism to a, to a multiplayer running gun that they do to say like like you know like a a, a story campaign right like a, a, a serious story right like you know it's not like people think that like you can bash like a, a freaking cat over the head with a hammer and have a cuckoo clock come out of its mouth because they watch cartoons right like there's a context switch there right like and multiplayer oh, I, see, they, I see what you're saying okay that i i, under, I understand uh, right. No one thinks yeah. that your that your that your car with a jet engine on the back can travel can play like soccer, um, because they played Rocket League, right? And you know, like I I I, I take your point, right? But right? something is like I I think because I agree with that, and I agree with that in the context of like, Halo the warthog in Halo doesn't behave like any vehicle would ever behave, sure. But like Halo is also a sci-fi action shooter set in the future with like base sure. suicide cultists or whatever modern warfare is at least on some level trying to be closer to like modern warfare than yeah. than no, like, I... that is and so it's kind of like where is the line like in, in a certain sense if if white phosphorus showed up in a halo game i think it would actually be fine is kind of the argument that I'm making. You're, but it's, it is that White Phosphorus is in a, a Call of Duty game that styles itself, like, really naturalistically. So I don't know if I buy that for, like, the multiplayer genre, right? Because, like, how, how stylistic can, like, bunny... Like, how, sty- how realistically styled is a game where bunny hopping is a thing that happens, right? Like, or, like, you know, like, jump sliding and whatnot. I get... I, I, I get your yeah, point, but I don't, I don't know. know. 
Essentially, there's a line. It's just really tough to tell where that line is. Because I think I do agree with you. I think in a single-player campaign, it is worse than in a multiplayer campaign. Yeah, and, and I like, think there's there's degrees of this, too. Like, I, I do think we've got – like, we, we, ha- we should have an upcoming episode about this because the other side of this coin is apparently due to Battlefield 1, a bunch of people are now interested in – uh, World War One era guns that has a lot of museum curators really excited. I watch uh, a channel, a, a YouTube channel called Forgotten Weapons, oh, where really? they discuss this perfectly. Yeah, like apparently, like apparently, like people are like walking to these museums and being like, "Whoa, that's the game! That's the gun I used in, you know, Battlefield One." And Battlefield One's weird because, like, in order to kind of keep with, um, keep with kind of like the old, like the series kind of typical playstyle, they use a lot of experimental weapons. And like, there, like, there are some guns that there's like literally one of them still in the United States. And it's in, like, this one museum, right? Um, like, wow. the, the guy opens up this talk, and it's like, I am the only person that has used this weapon both in-game and in real life because there's, like, this one, and, you know, no one else has used it in, like, forever. Um, uh, and it's, it's... I think that that's, like, interesting. I think, I think that's, a, that's a point, right? Like, people, like, get interested in this kind of stuff um, because of that. But I'm not convinced yeah. that it, like... I mean, I got, also don't have a good sense for what, like... Battlefield, you know, in a, in, a, in a way, I feel like Battlefield One, uh, like, could I like hit somebody with mustard gas in Battlefield One? I, I don't didn't know, play maybe. enough of it. Yeah. I, yeah, I didn't play any of it. I, I always mean, feel I like mean, there, the was fam- game... there was famously the kind of like stir up, dust up over like the 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 female soldier with the prosthetic. Oh limb. yeah, 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 for sure, for sure, yeah. Um, was the Battlefield one or Battlefield? I forget. It's one I of them. I honestly don't remember. It, yeah. One of the... I, I think... Well, it was one of them. You know, whatever. It's a little bit like the same thing in Total War, right? Like, when the uh, the chance of a female general... Did you remember this controversy? Yeah. Like, here's a f- they increased the chance of female generals popping up from 1% to 10%. Um, and, and people lost their mind because it was, like, anachronistic. Um, yeah. I think that also depends on the game, right? Like, I feel like you just make it a toggle, right? Like that's how CK two handles it, right? Like you can like turn on female leaders in the in the in the thing if you want that, or mm. if you want it to be historical, you can make it very hard for that to happen. And I don't think there's any harm there in, in having either one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I also think like that stuff is a little bit different, just because like there like. You can make a much more positive argument for bending history around, a, like, representative issues, right? Like, giving women a character to to play that's, like, fun and engaging for them, like Boudicca or somebody, right? Um, rather than, uh, like, making it entirely historically accurate with, like, all guys. Like, there's a real plus there versus, like, what's the real plus for, like, mis... For, like, essentially, like, misrepresenting white phosphorus to people in in modern warfare there isn't yeah. that same like okay. positive effect that you could like argue argue for which maybe is a i don't know like maybe that's a piece of the puzzle who knows yeah i mean i can tell you're not gonna well, say about the podcast no well, i mean like you could make like i don't personally believe this but you could make the argument that like desensitizing people to white phosphorus is Good for like an oppressive state, I guess. Like I don't want oh, that was going a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> That's way, way different than I expected. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm... yeah, I mean, like part of it is a little bit like I mean I, I've thought about this a lot. Like, so um, do you know what the Hayes Code is? 
No, I don't. <clears throat> in film, uh, the Hayes Code. So essentially, film in the 1920s and 30s got like raunchier and more violent because sex sells and violence sells, right? Um, and eventually, it made its way into like Congress started like debating like putting you know regulations on what could be shown in film or whatever, and so. Um, uh, the feature film industry essentially decided to regulate itself, and they, that's where, like, the MPAA, like, ratings comes from, right? And they had this code, which is called, like, the Hayes Code, um, that, uh, that like, regulated out um, bad, like, like, things that they deemed to be, like, bad from public... So you couldn't show, like... You couldn't show people, like, getting drunk. You shouldn't... You couldn't show, like... Uh, narcotics. You couldn't show like the law losing, um, and so something that would happen uh, is people would make these incredibly violent movies, but then put like a little disclaimer in front of them that's like all of this violence is really bad, and you should feel bad about all of this violence. And then it just like plays like the super violent movie for you, and you know like at the end the gangster, you know whatever who's just been like killing people and like is super cool and awesome and he dies because like the cop kills him but it's like played like a tragedy or whatever for like the, the source of the movie and something i always really sort of think about is like are, are we all deluding ourselves with like a disclaimer along those lines right like 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 warcraft thematically is about how in the face of annihilation level um like like omnicidal threats we need to we should band together as like one people to oppose them for the sake of right all of the like all of the vague nobility things that that like the Warcraft universe like honor or whatever that like the Warcraft universe like values but like on a gameplay level Warcraft is about going into a battleground and just like mercilessly murdering members of the enemy faction right like or like going out in the overworld and waiting at a at a node for people to like come farm it and then you just like absolutely Murder. obliterate them over and over and over again murdering people so, weaker than you yeah 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 exactly right it's, it's kind of like there, it's you know there's a little bit of like loot narrative dissonance there um and i don't know i don't know how you feel about any of that kind of stuff but it does make me think sometimes yeah no and like there's also kind of like this there's a danger of like you know what's worse right for someone to never know what white phosphorus is because it's not like a thing that you see on the news right it's not like they're showing people burning to death or is it better for them to have, like, a skewed perception of it that maybe they go investigate and find out what's real about it, right? Like, which one of those is worse? Which one of those is the lesser of two evils? And not that I think that anybody at Activision is making, like, a deep and principled thought about, like, you know, am I, am I trying to, like, half-enlighten people by putting white phosphorus in the game? Um, but I also wonder about, like, how much harm is actually generated. I mean, this actually happened to me with League of Legends the other day. Have you ever watched Nunu's... The new, like, Nunu and Willem champion, Nunu's death animation? No. Okay, so Nunu's death animation is, like, fucking heartbreaking, okay? Nunu, like, flumps over and... Or, I'm sorry, Willem, like, flumps over in, like, a heap. And Nunu, who's a little boy, right? He's, like, a five-year-old kid, like, gets up and is, like... It's okay, Nunu. It's okay. I'm gonna go get help. 
bouquet? And it was just, I saw that once in the middle of a game or whatever. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm going to cry. That's so, or like, like uh, Dragon Tamer Tristana, right? Dragon Tamer Tristana's death animation is like Tristana goes like, blah, and she like falls over. And then like the little baby dragon like walks over and like nudges her head and her head isn't moving and then just like curls up next to her and you're just like oh no <laughs> it's like but it's like when Yasuo dies pff, I don't give a shit you know what I mean like when Lucian dies or whatever like who cares sort of thing it's so like am I like weirdly desensitized to the death of like Yasuo or Caitlyn or any of these adults and like but, but why do these like certain death animations like make me feel mango <laughs> yeah I mean I, I also think that like at the end of the day it's not like you're not gonna be like if like you know we got into a street fight for whatever reason and I ended up dying I don't think you'd be like well you just fought like a lame death animation I don't care right like yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure yeah uh, yep. yeah but yeah, so I played that game over the weekend. It was an open beta. <laughs> so <and yeah. laughs> That's the segue of the century. Good job. Well done. Tell me all about it. How did the oh. guns feel? How did you like murdering your fellow man? Uh, so I really liked the look on their face while I put... No. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> um, uh, so I was not good enough to ever get a white phosphorus run. So, you know, none of that. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, the gunplay feels... <laughs> this feels really weird now. <laughs> the, the gunplay feels pretty good. Um, God always has, like, has like a place in my kind of, like, bones for, like, like being the kind of gameplay that COD is. I find that I tire of it pretty quickly now. Like, the, like you know, I, with, with WoW, I come back, like, every expansion. Stay around for, like, X number of months before I fall off it again. Um, COD, it seems like that window gets shorter, right? Like, every time I get a new one, I just, like end up playing it for a shorter period of time before mm-hmm. I fall off of it. And I think I might be good on this game just from the beta. Wow. I don't know if I need to go get the uh, the full game. Um, although, nuts. part of that too is I did get last... Like, I usually put a year between my, my game acquisition, so, you know, I got last year's, maybe I don't need to get this year's. It's whatever. Um, but, you know, it feels... I was struck by how much better it feels than, like, Borderlands 3, in, in, essentially, right? Like, the guns are all obviously individually crafted, um, like, something that Borderlands 3 lacks is, like, the snipers feel very light. They don't have really any kickback. And so they feel just kind of like pea shooters almost, even though, like, you know, they're sensibly more powerful weapons. The sniper rifles in Call of Duty feel feel really heavy, feel really nice, feel really meaty, um, similar to kind of, like, Destiny. Um, and so that's fun. The multiplayer is the fun in the same way it's always been fun. Um, a criticism that I have seen of it and that I agree with is that, like, ultimately the gunplay comes down to who sees who first, with, like, modulo some difference for, like, what weapon you're using. Um, and uh, therefore, it's a less interesting game than, say, like, a, a true arena shooter. Yeah, you know, you know what I find really interesting about Call of Duty, actually, is, that is like, how much it has, like, kind of unsuccessfully created new stuff to do, right? Like, like so, for instance, you know, something, um, something that we've been talking about as BlizzCon comes up is we're, we're at 8.2.5. That releases tomorrow. And nobody really knows if BlizzCon this year will be uh, talking about 8.3 or talking about, which uh, in most cases in World of Warcraft, like 8.3 would be like the end patch of the expansion. Um, uh, 
people are unsure whether or not it's going to be uh, like they're going to talk about 8.3 or they're going to talk about like the new expansion, right? And then we were sort of talking a little bit about like, well, what features could they add to World of Warcraft that would be really cool? And it was like, oh, player housing or like certain cosmetic stuff, right? Like people have always for the longest time wanted like cosmetics on their character, right? Like so Librams you know like like the 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 holy books for like paladins and they had a and they had a uh, an implementation for this that eventually kind of just became the artifact system um but like it it reminded me that wow has had a, a series of sort of like content updates over the years that have like kept the game fresh you know in a, in a new sort of like way right like the most recent iteration of that would be like island expeditions or like war friends right but like you know in missa pandaria they added challenge dungeons which are essentially mythic plus um in uh uh legion they added like world quests and like paragon bonuses or whatever and all this stuff gets like sort of folded into the experience of world of warcraft like over time but call of duty doesn't really seem to like get that done i guess like zombies is a little bit like this but i feel like every time that they like really go hard for like a new system um or a new way to play the game like the you know like advanced warfare had like the robot shit or whatever it basically almost always gets written out in the next one it, it never really has like that same level of staying power which i find really interesting right like in on one end you sort of have like the cumulative buildup over years and years and years of content from world of warcraft that just kind of gets like folded into the norms of the game right like mythic plus is just like a normal way to play wow now right um and in Call of Duty, because they sort of do a, like a hard reset every year with a new different game, uh, you don't have that same sort of like carrying forward of like experimental game modes, I guess. Yeah, I think you, sometimes you do, but it's interesting because like this one in particular is a return to kind of earlier iterations, right? They got rid of the point system on building your character, um, which is interesting because like it makes your builds a little bit less diverse, but it also means that you can like kind of kit out all both of your guns with all the attachments you, you could desire on them, right? Instead of you know, being limited to how many points that you could you could pay to put on them. Um, uh, and, like, you, you know, like, buying extra perks or something, right? Like, which is a thing you could do in, the in, in like, last year's game. Um, uh, and uh, this game is also a lot less floaty, right? Like, it's a lot less uh, kind of, like, arena shootery mechanics, right? Like, they're, like, the Advanced Warfare games for a while had, like, double jumps and, like, sprints, which were kind of, like, inspirations taking from Titanfall. Um, you know, things just, like, I, I think it's neat because, like, it does mean that every game's a little bit different and like there's a reason maybe to, to stick stick around on some of the older games because they do have kind of like those features that aren't necessarily being carried forward um but i i i see your point i think it's i think it's valid the big the big new thing in this one is ground war which is kind of like a 32 versus 32 big bat like you know like battlefield-esque type of game that i'm not a fan of but you know it's it's a thing that people like so you know um, yeah. Yep. Well, th- I, guess, I yeah. guess that's about it. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, if you'd like to email us and tell us what you think about buffs, nerfs, and uh, burden of knowledge, or white phosphorus, or any of the other things we talked about on this podcast, you can email us at subdurvesplaygames at gmail.com or uh, podcast at subdurvesplaygames.com. You can follow us on twitch.tv at subdurvesplaygames. You can, uh, so what else? You can subscribe to us on YouTube, although I haven't really posted there in a while. I should fix that. Or you could give us money on Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash subdurvesplaygames. Um, that's everything I had. But did you have anything you wanted to promote? 
I have nothing else I am looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.